0: Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odours and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. Their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to a dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do this same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I think it's fantastic that more and more people these days are becoming conscious of the food they eat. But shouldn't we be taking the same care for our pets? The health of our dogs means so much. So, no wonder owners are posting their glowing reviews of Badlands dog food and how it has improved the energy and coat of their beloved dogs. But don't take it from me. Go to badlandsfood.com forward slash frightful and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B A D L A N D S F O O D.com forward slash frightful. Last time on Frightful, we explored a chilling, true-life paranormal case from 1953, where Peter and Dorothy McEwen left London to live in a brooding old house in the Scottish Highlands by Loch Ness. All seemed well until their new housekeeper, Elspeth, began to hear strange knocking on her first night in the house. And later that same night, she had this terrifying sighting of a female specter on the landing.
1: Elspeth! What is it? She's there. Just down the hallway. She's coming towards us on her hands and knees. She's crawling on the floor. There's something in her hand. A candle? Look. Look, she's coming. She's looking at us. She's crawling back to us. It's horrible.
0: Was Elspeth insane? Or could she really... ...have the ability to see the dead. I am Peter Laws, and tonight on Frightful I invite you to return with me to Ardecky Lodge... ...for the second and final part of The House of the Crawling Woman. After a long and stressful night, daylight finally covered the lodge... ...and it was good to wake to the knowledge that the spirit, if that's indeed what it was... ...had not followed Dorothy to the cottage. Was it somehow trapped inside the house... Peter was fascinated and decided that he would do some digging into the history of Ardickey. He headed straight to his neighbour's house, Mrs Beckett. Surely she would be able to share some information about the previous owners. And so, as he sat there with her that morning in Kalecki House, Mrs Beckett shared the history of Ardickey Lodge. Ardickey was built in
1: 1840. It was a shooting lodge for Charles Gillespie, He was a local landowner. Then the house was sold on to Colonel Campbell until it was eventually bought by Mr and Mrs Bruins. Who you got the house from? Her sister lived there too. Could you tell me about them? Mrs Bruin especially? Well, they'd previously lived in Ireland before coming out here. Mrs Bruin was an older lady. Very old, really. She was a lovely woman, true enough. Forgive me, but... Did she die in the house? No, she didn't. She was moved to Inverness, where she died a few months
2: after. I see. And would you mind describing what Mrs. Bruin looked like? These are peculiar questions, sir. I know they are, Mrs. Beckett. Please continue. Well, Mrs. Bruin was old, and
1: so she dressed old. No shame in that. She'd always wear a wrapping around her shoulders, like a shop. And her hair? It was grey and long, all bedraggled, you know, especially near the end. And
2: did she wear a little hat or a cap? How did you know? You say Mr. Brew moved out only a few months before her death. Why? What happened? Oh, it was a sad end, Peter. She
1: suffered awful from arthritis. It crippled her, poor lamb. Then she had a stroke. And the dementia made it all much, much worse. It got too much for Mr. Broon to cope with, so she went to a care home in Inverness. She died there. I think she missed the lodge. Poor lady. Yes, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So athletic and mad, you see. Seeing her like that up at the lodge, it was frightening. Seeing her crawling hither and thither. Pardon me. It was the pain, you see. It got so much she struggled to stand straight, so she had to crawl on all fours. It was her only way of keeping watch on the servants. She thought they were robbing her, so she'd crawl along the oh. landing and check to see if they were making off with anything. It'd be so dark at night she'd crawl, clutching a candle so she might catch him in the act. <sighs> You've gone and dropped your tea. Are you quite all right, Peter?
0: Peter left Colicky House with his head spinning. And as he pulled back into Ardicky Lodge, he wondered, what would the second night bring? They had a new plan for the second night. As well as the main kitchen, there was a smaller kitchen. And it seemed to be safe from the phantom in there. And so the plan was for Elspeth and Jamie to sleep on two little makeshift beds in that kitchen. The kitchen, however, was right at the foot of the staircase. Those footsteps had been heard on the first night So Peter and Dorothy told them to make the most of it And just sleep And to not open the kitchen door Exhausted from the previous night They said goodnight to the McEwans And headed upstairs to bed earlier than normal It was 9.30pm Down in the little kitchen The plan seemed to be working well Jamie fell fast asleep And since there was no knocking or footsteps and certainly no apparitions of elderly women crawling along the kitchen floor, even Elspeth finally managed to drift off. But not for long. She flicked her eyes open at about (gasps) 9.45pm. It wasn't a sound that woke her, but a thought. Oh no, I forgot about the milk. Blast. The local shepherd would always deliver milk to the house and leave it outside by the door in the main kitchen down the hall. Elspeth had been instructed that it was her task as housekeeper to bring the milk in. But here she was, on only her second night of work, and she'd forgotten about the milk. She'd pop down the hall quickly and grab it. It'd only take a minute. She got out of bed and moved towards the small kitchen door. When the knocking began, Not loud enough to wake Jamie, but clear enough to send her heart racing. This was no generator or settling house. Somebody's knuckle was rapping against the kitchen walls. Okay.
1: Breathe. Breathe. I
0: can do this. We can't know what drove her to proceed to open the kitchen door. Sheer curiosity, perhaps, or some bizarre compulsion. Like she was being beckoned as she had the night before. Personally, I think she was just panicked about forgetting the milk. This was their dream job. And so her and her husband had given up so much for it. She'd already caused such a fuss since arriving. So even as the knocks were sounding, she walked towards the kitchen door that led to the hall, reached out into the darkness, and opened it. No! The woman was waiting for her right there at the bottom of the staircase. Yet there was something very different this time. Elspeth would later tell researchers,
1: It looked wraith-like. Barely a human figure at all. But the more I looked, the more I started to recognise it.
0: Elspeth screamed and flung herself back into the kitchen, slamming the door behind her and waking Jamie up. She was terrified and confused because the more she thought about it, the more she became sure. The apparition she had just seen on the other side of that door was the mistress of the house, Dorothy herself, who was upstairs right now in bed. Dorothy wasn't upstairs for long, however, because both her and her husband couldn't help but hear the commotion. And when they came down, once again, Elspeth said that she had seen a spirit, this time at the bottom of the stairs. But that night she did not tell them. That she had somehow seen the ghost of a living person Dorothy McEwen That was just too confusing and disturbing to mention As the days went on Peter was both frustrated and fascinated with this situation Their new housekeeper had either lost her mind Was tricking them Or she was genuinely seeing something from beyond the veil In this, their new house After all how could she have known those details about Mrs. Bruin? He needed answers, so he called for help from some fellow members of the Society of Psychical Research. The SPR have members across the world, and sure enough, there were members of the Society not too far from Loch Ness. And so a few days later, two SPR members came to the lodge. A believer and a sceptic. Mr. Ross was an elderly retired diplomat. After years of research and experience, he was very open to the world of the supernatural. The other SPR member was Mr. Matheson. A young man and local maths teacher, Matheson had clear and dogmatic opinions on the supernatural. It did not exist. And there must always be a rational explanation. That night, Mr. Ross and Mr. Matheson gathered everybody in the small kitchen. Remember, this was where Elspeth and Jamie were now sleeping. It felt like the only safe space in the house just as long as Dorothy didn't open the door to that eager waiting lodge. That notion would form the core of this experiment because the two men sat with the two couples in the kitchen and they dimmed the lights so that the room fell into darkness lit only by the glow from the old oven's flame. Ross and Matheson sat on each bed with an armchair in the middle sitting in that armchair was Elspeth Macdonald. Now Elspeth are you feeling comfortable? Yes. Good then before we proceed you must remember that we are all here with you supporting okay. you. Okay. Good. Uh, then shall we please open the kitchen door Peter if you could just gently open. They sat there in the darkness while the kitchen door was slowly opened. They waited. Elspeth's eyes were no doubt fixed on that doorway with dread. Might the old woman's head soon peek around the lower edge of the frame? Or the wraith-like figure of Mrs. McEwen? All stayed quiet until the rapping noises began. At first it was coming from the outside wall, the one with the window on. And the rapping went on in slow, rhythmic patterns. Elspeth started to breathe, and strangely... The SPR men noticed that her breath seemed to follow the pattern of the knocks. Look at that. Well, <laughs> she did this for a short while before something snapped <laughs> in She suddenly widened her eyes and pushed herself back into the armchair and screamed in revulsion at the doorway. Someone immediately switched the lights on and Elspeth began to gather her breath and calmed down. Mr Matheson said, What did you see? Was it the old woman?
1: No, it was a different woman. A young lady. Only this time she started coming into the room... I think it's best that we take
0: a break. After the stress of the experience, they gave her some space to rest until she was ready to try the open door experiment again. Again, they gathered in the kitchen, with Elspeth laying on one of the beds this time, and they switched out the lights. They opened the door into the corridor, and the foot of the staircase, and waited. It was just like before. After a stretch of silence, the knocking started, matching Elspeth's breathing. But despite the anticipation of what might appear at the door, something happened. Elspeth fluttered her eyes open.
1: Jamie? Jamie, love? Have you been dreaming?
0: It's okay.
2: You're okay now. We're all here with you. The rose tree.
1: What? The rose tree. It has been a like that. Someone has removed the rose tree.
0: After she had said this odd sentence, she sank back onto the bed and went silent, while the knocking noises began again. As these knocks continued, Mr. Matheson grabbed a torch. He wanted to check if Elspeth was making those knocking noises herself. He quickly dropped low and shone the beam under the bed. Nobody saw her hands move. It was clear that Elspeth was feeling overwhelmed by this entire experience and they decided to call it a night and returned to their rooms. The researchers were deliberately put in the rooms where the supernatural activity had taken place on that first night. The next morning at breakfast, the SPR men reported that nothing unusual in their rooms had occurred overnight. Elspeth and Jamie, however, said that the knocking on the kitchen walls had continued until 5 a.m., The SPR members left, with no real evidence of anything supernatural beyond, that is, the claims of Elspeth herself. But Peter and Dorothy could not stop thinking about what Elspeth had said last night in her almost trance like state.
1: The rose tree. Someone has removed the rose tree.
0: The reason this struck the McEwans so profoundly was because when he and Dorothy had first arrived at the lodge, they had done clearing out and yard work, including hiring a part-time gardener to help clear out an old greenhouse in the garden. They had hoped to grow tomatoes in there, but the space was taken up by two trees. One was a peach tree, and the other a sizable rose tree. To make way for the tomatoes, Peter had told the gardener to uproot the rose tree and place it outside. That way they might have some lovely roses blooming in the summer. Only the transplant did not take. And after a week, the rose tree was dead. You know, our neighbour, Mrs Beckett,
2: she told me that old Miss Bruin loved that rose tree. Then
1: did you tell her that we had moved it? Maybe she told Elspeth or Jamie somehow. No, that's just it. I didn't have the heart to say. She wouldn't know. Then there is simply no way that she could have known that we had moved that tree.
2: Yet that's exactly what she said last night.
1: Wait a minute. Don't you remember? The day the McDonald's arrived, I was showing them around the grounds. Yes, I remember. We passed through the Rose Garden and I said nothing of the tree. But she got upset. I
2: thought she was just tired, so I sent them off to bed. Mr. Matheson thinks she's making it up. He has a point. She's the only one that ever sees anything. But what about the knocking? We all heard that. True. But I suppose
1: she could have done it with her knuckle. We would have seen that. Besides, think it through, Peter. She knew about the rose tree. She knew what Mrs Bruin looked like, all the way down to her shawl and hat and long, straggly hair.
2: Lots of old women look like that.
1: But do they crawl across the landing on all fours, with a candle in hand, just like Mrs Beckett told you?
2: I know, I know. There's another thing, too. What? Why? I mean, what would be the point? Jamie gave up a good, solid job in London. A postman with a pension to boot. Why on earth would he and his wife trek all the way up to the Scottish Highlands, giving all that up? Ready to put on some ridiculous show. And for whom? There's no rhyme or reason to it. Unless...
1: Unless she saw something.
2: It's the only thing that makes sense. As mad as it sounds, perhaps Elsbeth is some sort of spirit medium that she can see the dead roaming around. Perhaps she never really realized it until she came to Ardiki. Perhaps this place bought out her gift. Do you really call that a gift?
0: The strange paranormal activity continued in the days ahead, and it was obvious that Jamie and Elspeth could never be the permanent caretakers here at the lodge. Twelve days after arriving, they were asked to leave Ardickey Lodge on the 29th of August. Elspeth and Jamie MacDonald were devastated, and so they boarded the train with their dreams in tatters. The activity stopped after Elspeth's departure, which only brought more weight to the theory that she had somehow manufactured the entire experience. Peter McCune found himself drawn to the thought that she might have at least caused the rapping noises herself, but that she was being driven by an unknown force. But then he learned of other stories. Peter wrote this for the SPR files.
2: There was one further incident... A month or two after the events recorded, we had staying with us an old school friend, uh, now a London solicitor, very sceptical of the paranormal, and one evening he clearly heard footsteps in the empty room above his own and was certain there was an intruder in the house. Nothing was found, and our friend returned to London quite shaken.
0: Peter also spoke to a local policeman who'd been doing odd jobs at the house. This was in the year or so after Mrs Bruin's death, And not long before the McEwans arrived The officer said that he was in the kitchen of the house When he heard footsteps outside the door He opened the door and looked But the hallway was completely empty But to his shock He could still hear the footsteps continuing in front of him It was so clear and distinct That the policeman had no embarrassment in admitting That fear drove him running from the lodge and he hid in the safety of the nearest cottage. Dorothy McCune was never the same after the incidents with Elspeth. She felt uneasy in the house. She wondered if the haunting could be cleansed or exorcised. So at one point she and her neighbour Mrs. Beckett and some monks from the local monastery walked through the house saying prayers, lighting candles and sprinkling holy water. Yet the strain of that house and... The midnight thoughts of a silent, crawling resident was just too much for the McCunes. Like the McDonald's, their dreams of a fresh start had died. The house and the estate was offered for sale, and it was eventually sold to a vet who moved in without any known incidents. The lodge was then sold to a Major Vernon, who already owned the nearby estate of Doe. Vernon didn't even live on the property and so Articky was left closed desolate, empty and lonely perhaps that's what the house had wanted all along and it stood that way abandoned for many years local children would come to the house but run home again having sworn they had seen the ghost of an elderly woman moving through the house and the lodge stood like this until the winter of 1968 when the house met its final chapter. An army team were brought in to set dynamite into the walls of the lodge, tapping them gently in where the sound of knocking had frightened others years before. And as the soldiers set the charges, there was talk of local stories. That anyone who dared go into this old rambling house might hear the creaking crawl of an elderly woman on all fours. Yes, the house had a reputation now. But on that winter's day, with a sky of grey above them, the soldiers detonated the charges, And the lodge, that had stood so quiet for years, suddenly exploded with a huge roar, flinging parts of the house high in the air and scattering its entrails around the estate. The dust fell, and then the bulldozers were brought in. Researchers looking at maps might have been intrigued to note that Ardaki Lodge stood at the intersection of four major ley lines, but now the rooms and windows and hallways and staircases of Ardaki had vanished, as if they had never been there. Though the local children still say that when they come to play in the grounds of Ardaki, they see a strange woman moving through the grass, and they run The case of Ardikey Lodge really is a fascinating and frustrating one. Frustrating in the sense that it hinges on one single witness. Indeed, in such cases it can be easy to dismiss claims of the paranormal. But how did Elspeth MacDonald know so much about the crawling woman? Details that would be proven right later. what of the policeman and the sceptical lawyer who stayed with the McEwans and also heard footsteps... Is it possible that Dorothy MacDonald really did have the ability to see the dead, but it had laid latent in her life, and it was something she didn't really understand, until she just happened to set foot in a house, sitting on intersecting ley lines that opened her eyes. And if that is the case, who's to say that you or I don't have the ability to see the crawling dead? And the only thing stopping us so far is that we haven't found the place where this ability will be unlocked. What if that place is somewhere you might visit soon? Or even where you lay your head to sleep tonight? Yes, the landscape of the Scottish Highlands is filled with beauty and drama, but also mystery. And if you ever drive to Loch Ness, try and remember that not all of the mysteries are lurking under the water. Look to the shore and the homes and wonder what or who might be walking or crawling through the quiet, lonely hallways. I'm Peter Laws, and you've been listening to The House with the Crawling Woman on Frightful. Thank you for listening to the episode tonight. And thanks especially to Zoe Bach and Ed Frizzell, who played the parts tonight. If you're enjoying uh, this show, Frightful, and my other show, Our Curious Past, perhaps I could trouble you to check out patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws. That's a place. (laughs) Oof. That's a place where you can find out a little bit about um, the work that I do, but also an opportunity to support um, these uh, shows, and you get a bunch of extra content, and it really does make a difference. Um, so if you would like to check that out, go to patreon.com forward slash or indeed just uh, check out peterlaws.co.uk, find out more about my books and uh, other stuff. But until next time, uh, keep an eye out in your corridors. See what's crawling your way.